know where we're going, where we're headed. And as we've been talking about, John has, of course, been writing uh, to instruct these believers, to encourage these believers, but even more so to warn these believers as well of the apostasy that is surrounding them, the false teaching that is there. And he is writing so that way they would know, one, and have assurance of their salvation, but as well have assurance of their fellowship with the Lord. It is not merely enough just to have your salvation. We must go further and have fellowship with the Lord because our salvation is just the beginning. Uh, we go through the rest of our life and we must draw near and have fellowship with God. You can have fellowship with other believers and we're called to do so and we should have more of that. But we need ultimately, before anything else, fellowship with the Lord our God. Now, I want to read here verse 18. We'll start and pick up, and this is kind of our next test, a, a true confessing Christian, what that looks like, what that means, um, how it affects everything, and, and what it also does not mean as well. Uh, verse number 18 says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know the, not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no, lie of, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that thereby abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now there's a whole lot going on here, but it begins and really flows out of verses 18 to 21. He begins, of course, with little children, as we've talked about. He's repeated this sort of phraseology in addressing these believers. One, because at this point, John is the elder statesman of the church. He is uh, going to be the, the last living apostle. Uh, he's writing to younger believers, both literally in age, but as well as in their walk with the Lord. It, he's literally been there from the beginning. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was the beloved. He was there throughout the whole process. He's seen it all. And he's been used of God in such a, a mighty and tremendous way. And so he's addressing them to encourage them, to help them. Because all of us, when we are saved, we become little children, but now in Christ. We are little babes. And we must understand that a little baby doesn't start chewing on steaks immediately, does it? No, it takes a long time to get there. But there must be a continual growth and process. And that's what John has been dealing with throughout the whole book. There is no believer who is a true believer who will not have true growth or true fruit. Nor is there a true believer who will stay a babe in Christ. We must continuously feast. And God gives us the tools, the knowledge, and as he's going to address the unction from the Holy One to teach us and to encourage us and to help us and strengthen us in our walk with the Lord. Now, he addresses right after that little children it is the last time. 
Now, he's not saying it is the last time I call you little children because later on in the passage and later on in the book, he addresses beloved little children, all these things. The last time. And as you've heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. The phrase, the last time, we have to understand because it's going to set forth the rest of the passage. John here is believing that he is living in the last days. And I believe he's rightly so believing it. Why? Because Jesus had said so. Everything that he had seen around him pointed to that. Now, what about you and I? We fast forward to the year 2021. Are we living in the last time? Yes, and we're going to address that today. All right. There's much confusion today. Unfortunately, you can turn on your TV and see far too many preachers who have no clue what the Bible is actually saying or they're promoting a false idea or even to another degree that there's such a focus on the end times that we forget to live in the here and now. You know what we have promised to us? Death, taxes, that's about it, right? We don't have tomorrow or the future. We've got several things that we have promised us as believers in the future. But what we know is that we've got this moment right now. While we have breath in our lungs, while our heart is beating, we have this moment and this moment alone. But we must understand what the last time means because it should not discourage us, but rather encourage us and empower us to live like it. Now, if we understood the gravity and the weight of eternity and the eternal things, we would certainly live here in this temporary world in our temporary life for an eternal weight and glory. That is what we're called to do as believers. We're called to something higher. Now, the last time here, uh, one commentator writes, Stott here, he says, the New Testament writers do not have an exact vocabulary to describe the chronology of the last time or the end. And it is not always easy to discern to what eschatological period or event they are alluding. What is clear is that they have regarded the first coming of Christ as having inaugurated the new age and settled the doom of the old. We find that not only is there Old New Testament, but when Christ comes, it, it changes everything. We literally used to tell our time, in schools at least, and, and they no longer do, but we do today, for you and I, that we live our life before Christ, after Christ, even historically. Before Christ, after Christ, we, we find that He literally has changed everything with His coming, but He will change everything once more with His second coming. That once more, when He comes, that everything else will change. Now, the, the last days here, for them, as they're writing the Scripture, as God has inspired those individual original authors and those individual original writings that God has preserved throughout all of these years. Think about the majesty and the, the weight and wonderfulness of what that means. That Not only did God inspire those men, but God has kept and preserved His Word that you and I can have it today. And we're going to talk about that later on, so stay, stay tuned here, okay? Uh, don't go nowhere after Sunday school. But the, the last time for them as they're writing... They use that phrase all throughout the writings. The last days, the last time, the end of all things. Phrases like that. They don't have the same sort of dispensational terminology that you and I might use today of this and this and this and all these different orders and, and things. But here what we do know about the last days is that truly they start when Jesus comes and they press forward when Jesus ascends to the Father. Let's look at this for a moment. The last days have been the last days since, since Christ. But Christ is eternal, so he's from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And as we've been talking about in the book of Genesis in our study of midweek, is that the beginning speaks immediately 
the moment that there is an in the beginning, that means that there's going to be an in the end, doesn't there? It is naturally shown that linguistically that there's going to be an end. If you are born, then what does that mean? There will be an end. So if we have this created world, we know that there will be this end of what we know as human history. First of all, his incarnation. These next three things I'm going to give you. His incarnation, his passion, and his ascension are beginning the last days, if you will. What we have is his incarnation brings God in the flesh to tabernacle with man. John 1.14, the first portion of the verse says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That phrase dwelt among us can be traced back to the idea of to dwell as in how the readers would have thought immediately back to the wilderness days where the tabernacle, which means a dwelling place or to dwell, where God tabernacled there in the tabernacle, where he traveled with his people, where he was worshipped by his people, where he met with his people, where he gave the writings and the authorities and the, the laws of his people. We find that God has come not just uh, in some sort of sign or vision or in the heavenlies, but rather God in the flesh to dwell with us. But it also points to our future promise, according to the book of Revelation, that there's coming a day in the new heavens and the new earth where God will wipe away all tears and that he will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. It's that same phrase, that same beautiful picture of it all. <coughs> Excuse me. Furthermore, we find that his passion brings about the last days as well. With his coming, we find the last days because what had taken place in between the minor prophets being written and preached and the Gospels is we have this big, long gap of silence almost. of Just silence, if you will, of where there's nothing major happening per se, or there's no more biblical uh, account that's given and re recorded. But we know that there's a silent period, but then who bursts on the scene? God sends a, a forerunner, John the Baptist, to preach, not himself, not his own kingdom, but rather prepare the way for the kingdom of God, to prepare the way for the king, the king Jesus who comes, as he was foretold in the Old Testament, pointing and bringing us uh, now to Christ comes, which changes the world that he's in. But then his passion brings about the last days in this sense. His passion meaning his death, burial, and resurrection. That is what we call the gospel, the good news. That is the only way of salvation, the only means of salvation. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and what he has done alone. And it's not your work. It is not your ability. It is all in his ability to save souls and his work that did and provides the um, opportunity for souls to, to be saved. And we find that his passion is not just death, burial, resurrection, but as well. And what that does is it takes us to the last days of going from law to, to grace. It opens up the door and provides the opportunity that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is what we're living in. That is what has been ushered in with what Christ has done. The old has passed. The new has come. The law has been fulfilled. And grace has been bestowed upon all those who would believe and cry out to the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 tells us this in verse 14 and 15. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. We find that this is bringing about something far greater than what we can even imagine. 
Third, his ascension. His ascension brings about the last days because it would usher in and prepare the disciples, the apostles rather, for the church age. And for you and I to still yet be a part of this church age or the age of grace. And it's referred to as so many different ways. But the last days, I often say in a short answer, someone says, when are the last days? I say we're living in them the moment that Jesus ascends. The moment that happens. Why? Because the moment he ascends, that means he's going to one day descend, right? The moment he goes up means he's going to come back. Now, they lived literally believing that he was going to come back any day. One thing that we have unfortunately discovered is that some nearly 2,000 years later, the average believer today would say theologically, oh, I believe Jesus is coming back. But we don't live like it. We don't worship like it. We don't witness like it. We don't get to know God like it. If we truly believed that Christ would return or that Christ would snatch us out of here or that Christ would even end our life, that we really could die at any moment, then certainly you would think that our lives would be different, wouldn't they? However, the reason why they're not is because we have such a small picture view of who God is and such a small picture of eternity. We don't dwell or meditate or think nearly long enough or hard enough about the eternal things, and that's why the temporary is so big. Now, I, I'm here in a, in a big sanctuary and lots of pews and everything else, but if I were to do this, the rest of y'all aren't so big. This hymnal is the biggest thing I can see right now. But it's not that big in comparison to the rest of the room, is it? What happens to us is we let something that is so small be our focus, and therefore we miss everything else. We have got to be so careful because I would say, and I am no date setter, and we're going to see that we are living in the last days, and we have been for quite some time. But there is a progression that we're going to see. His ascension brings about it as he is ascending, he has promised to proclaim that his disciples will be a part of a greater plan during the last days called the church and that he will return. The church is the plan and purpose of God in today's world. And to leave the church of God means that you don't love Christ like you think you do. And furthermore, to come to church but not be a part of the church would also mean the same thing. There is a difference. To be a member of the church, this is a covenant body. This is a covenant relationship. And even more so in a greater picture, it is a marriage. The church is the bride of Christ, married to the bridegroom who's preparing a place for us to one day call us unto himself where we shall ever be. And we are to be pure. We are to be prepared. We are to be holy before him. We are to be longing and anxious for him. Instead, most of us are longing and more anxious about an antichrist, as John is talking about, and and more anxious about the things of this world, and we're not thinking about the marriage that takes place and the union of which we are to have even now on this earth. We miss the whole idea of what church is. We miss the whole idea of what membership is like and what it's supposed to look like and, and be about because we have the small thing in our eye that's blocking out the big picture of all that Christ is. Acts 1.8 tells us, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. This is still yet in fulfillment to the degree that we are still proclaiming the truth to a lost and dying world. And by the way, the world is lost and dying. 
And we're not just talking about sending missionaries, but we are the sent missionaries. Because our missionaries, we have more missionaries in this room than we have on our board. I'm all about sitting and filling up. I'd rather have 12, I'd love to have 12 boards up there, all the way full of missionaries, send them all over parts of this world. But even more so, I would rather have this local church be the missionaries to our hometown. Now, wouldn't it be a shame, what would you think about this? If we had a missionary call and say, hey, I'd like to come present. And I say, well, sure, come and present. And he presents and he's going to be a missionary to Carroll County. And he says, there's, there's plenty of churches, but there's a lot of lostness. There's plenty of people that go to church, but uh, still so many that are without Christ and that don't go. And, and I'm just burdened for the county and I'm looking for support for someone to send me to Carroll County. What would we say? Probably we'd say, oh, amen, let's support him. But hopefully the immediate next thing that would come out of our mouths would be, woe is me. That God would have to send an outside missionary to our, our county? He would have to do so because we're not being the missionaries that we're called to be. It's not the missionary's job to win your family, your friends, and your, your hometown. That's our job. Matter of fact, it's not even just the job of, hey, well, if I can get him to come to church and the preacher will talk to him and then it'll work out, it's, it's not the case either. We are missionaries, and until we understand that you yourself are an individual missionary, then you're missing out on your great purpose. And you're missing out, honestly, on the will of God for your life. The will of God for your life is not just some sort of mystical neon sign that says you should do this or don't do that. The will of God has been given. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of every nation, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We are called to do that, not just the disciples, the apostles, but everyone who calls himself a believer. It's the purpose of the local church. Now, fourth, we then come to the Last of the last days, his consummation. This is the peak point, and we're somewhere in between the ascension and the consummation. And it's been a large chunk of time since then, but in comparison to God and the way that he views the universe, it's been just a moment that he's been gone. For you and I, we go, 2,000 years, he still hasn't returned. What in the world's he waiting on? It's getting so bad out there. To him, it's just a moment. To him, it's just a, a drop in the bucket. And in the weight and the length of eternity, it is just a drop in the bucket. But it's consummation. This is the great day that is to come in the future after the great tribulation period where Christ will return as promised throughout all of Scripture and set up His kingdom. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear at the second time without sin unto salvation. So let me ask you, are these the last days? Yes, yes, and yes again. The long answer, are these the last days, is yes, and the short answer is also yes. You can get into many complications and details and differences of views and opinions and thoughts, but we see that there is this promise of the last days. We are living in fulfillment of much of the last days because we're watching the progression of the last days. The progression is found here we find that they are both in John's day and now in our day and the soon coming day, the day of the last days, meaning the day of Christ's return. Now, mind you this, the second coming of Christ is not the rapture, all right? Now, there's much confusion over that. The rapture is the calling out of God's church. I, I believe in that. I, we preach it 
we look forward to that. We believe that that could happen at any time, any, any day, any hour. We even sing songs about it. However, the second coming is where he comes again, where he will literally step foot back at the same place where he had just ascended from in Acts chapter 1, where he will step foot back on this earth after the great day of wrath and tribulation, and he will literally rule and reign for a thousand years in his kingdom with a, a rod of iron and even, I believe, a, a shepherd's staff for his people. And you and I will take place in a part of that kingdom. That's what we're looking forward to. You and I, if we died right now, that's just the beginning. We'd go to heaven. Temporary. We're going to the kingdom and then eventually the eternal kingdom and a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's what we're longing and looking forward to. But notice this progression here. The last days will themselves have last days. A period of grievous moral and religious decadence. Do we find that today? Certainly. How about this? He says, in the last times we'll have a last time in which ungodly scoffers will arise. Do we have that? Sure. Nor is this all. The last time of the last times will have a culminating last time when our eternal inheritance will be revealed. In the same way, the last days of the last days will themselves have a final last day when Christ raises the dead and judges the world. We're not in the last day, but I believe that we're in the last of the last days. Does that make sense? There's a progression. There's a natural biblical progression that we have to understand that there's parts of the Old Testament that are looking forward to the kingdom. Other parts are promising and prophesying about the um, new heavens and new earth. Other parts are looking forward to the rapture. Other parts are pointing to the second coming. And some are pointing to what takes place during the tribulation. There is this progression. But I want us to understand that there are no experts. I wish I was an expert, but I'm not. I, I believe what the Bible preaches and gives, and, and I believe it as best as I can, as the Holy Spirit has given us the unction as we talk about. But I know this. If I boiled it down, I know that right now I'm alive. I'm saved by God's grace. I'm kept by God's grace. And I know that I'm looking forward to the day where he will either let me pass on from this life or call me out of here in one way, shape, or form. I'm looking uh, not for things to get worse or these signs and go, well, it must be soon, it must be soon, it must be soon. Why? Because what this does is it makes me so focused on the signs that I'm not focused on Christ. So many believers today truly are, and I've said this a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand times more, are focused on an antichrist and not the Christ. We're focused on all the signs around us, and Jesus is the same Jesus that said it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeketh after a sign. The great sign that we need today is not even what's around us, but what's in us. The spirit of truth that has pointed to us and illuminated this truth to us. And we see this progression taking place. So until the last day happens, I'm going to live for Jesus. That should be our goal. That should be our heart. That should be our focus. Now, John <coughs> doesn't stop with just saying the last time. He says and gives proof. And as ye have heard that this Antichrist, that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. This is important. That we know, that we know. John, from the whole time in this whole letter, is saying, I'm writing this so that way you know that you know. And now he says, 
I know that we're in the last days, and you should know that you're in the last days because of what's been preached from the beginning, but because of this proof that antichrists have arrived and risen up. Now, let's address this here. The proof of the last days is that the rise of antichrists and false teachings prove that these are the last days. Now, this is being written in the first century. This is early on in, in biblical Christianity. Today, in 2021, the second coming has not taken place yet. The tribulation has not happened yet. The rapture has not happened yet. If, if it hasn't, we all looked out. I don't know. right? We, we, it's not happened yet. But what do we see? A rise of antichrist-like mentality, teaching, perversion, and as well as little antichrists, if you will. So what is antichrist? That's what we need to address. Because we need to understand that there is, we obviously, when we hear the word antichrist, what do we think of? We think of the one anti, like capital A, antichrist, that comes in the tribulation period, that says, you know, hey, I'm going to bring about peace. It's going to be good. And things are hunky-dory. And then says, hey, I actually changed my mind. I'm God. Abomination, desolation, wrath, deception, all these things. But one day we even know that he too gets chucked over into a, a pit. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, even already right now, while he will have his little time, he's still a defeated foe at that, in the end. But what we know is this. Lowercase antichrist. There have been more lowercase antichrists than there will ever be just the one, because there's only one of the antichrists at the last day. I know this. There are very much antichrists all around today. The sad truth is that there are antichrists inside the church today. What it means to be an antichrist is this. The author here believes that he and his readers live in the last days, or excuse me, the last hour, because what he sees happening around him corresponds with predictions concerning the last hour by saying, as you have heard, he indicates that uh, teaching about the coming of the Antichrist was well known to his readers. This is not new for them. And I have here for you, Antichrist means against Christ or in place of Christ. It is nothing new at all. The doctrine of Antichrist is traced back not to just John's day, but back to the very Garden of Eden itself, where the slithering serpent Satan comes along and gives an antichrist doctrine, a false gospel, a false picture of who God is, a false idea and understanding. What well, did God really say? And, you know, if God was so good, why would he withhold this from you as the idea? If he was so good and faithful and nice as he says, was, this was such a good garden, why would he let you not eat of this one tree? I mean, he's giving you everything else. Why not this one? What is that? It's the doctrine of Antichrist. It has always been. I would even say this, that we have more Antichrist-like preaching in churches today than we don't. And that's difficult to fathom or understand. The, the truth is, is that we have such a rise because we have left the Scriptures. We have taken on what we want. We have taken on politics. We have taken on programs. We've taken on ideologies. We've taken on, let's just do the practical stuff and love Jesus and sing Kumbaya and we'll get by. That's not it. That's not what we're called to do. It is antichrist because it goes against Christ. It goes against who He is, His divine nature, His teaching about who He is. And so in John's day, 
Uh, he is clearly dealing with Antichrist, but certainly we are today. I would say, and honestly, there are a, a tremendous number of Antichrist-like books that are being sold. That they will not say, hey, authored by an Antichrist. <laughs> They're going to be ones that look very Christian, maybe even look very spiritual and very good, but what they do is they teach uh, Eastern mysticism in your prayer life or even a, an erotic nature with your relationship with God. Or they teach false doctrine about the roles of man and woman or the church or law and grace or they preach works instead of grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. That's an antichrist doctrine. I worked in a Christian bookstore. Matter of fact, I'll tell you the name of it because it closed down. Lifeway Christian Bookstore. And I can tell you that most, unfortunately, of what was on the shelves was not good. It wasn't fit to start a fire with. There are many, though, who say that, you know, oh, man, that so-and-so is so good. And I can tell you they're probably not. Not because they don't agree with what I have to say, but because they don't agree with what God has already said. If you don't agree with what God says and thus saith the Lord, then you're wrong. You're an antichrist. And the sad truth is that in many church splits, it's the work of the doctrine of antichrist inside the pews or even behind the pulpit. And many of the church hurts. It's a work of little antichrists inside the church who promote themselves as being this sort of good Christian or servant or so humble and so kind-hearted, but really are full of the devil. And this happens so often. John is warning against them. As a matter of fact, the immediate Antichrist that we're dealing with here, John is dealing with much heretical teaching, false conversion, which are Antichrist. We talked about this at the very beginning of studying 1 John, that during this day, Gnosticism and different offshoots and roots and branches of, of Gnosticism is being promoted and taught. And people are being swept up in it. Because let's be perfectly honest and perfectly clear here. Most people don't want what the Scripture has to say alone. Most people want, well, tell me what the Bible says, but, you know, I mean, tell me a little bit more. We care more for reading between the lines of the Bible than just reading the lines of the Bible. We want the gray area and not just satisfied to take, here's what God says, and if I don't fully grasp it, well, then there must be something more. I've got to find my what ifs and my well, how abouts and my who's and what's it. We're called to just trust the scripture. Antichrist doctrine comes from not trusting, not believing, not living, not teaching the word of God alone. It, it must satisfy us. If the Bible's not good enough for us, then what are we even doing? The Bible should be more than just a, an add-on to our faith. It is our foundation of our faith. And for John in these days, what is happening is that there are these emotional groups like the Gnostics and the mystics who are stirring up inside the church who are saying, hey, yeah, believe Jesus, but also, you know, he wasn't fully God. He was just a man who God then gave special powers to. Jesus was not a magician. He was God, is God, forever shall be God, because he's always been God. How about this? There were others then at John's time that we just talked about who they said, well, you know, he was maybe God, but 
He didn't really actually come in the flesh. People just saw an apparition. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a, a vision. As we just read earlier, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, John uses that because John's writing that in, in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Why? Because in that day, there were those who denied Jesus' deity and his humanity. You know what happens in 2021 still today? People denying Jesus' humanity or his deity. However, <coughs> even your average run-of-the-mill historian or scientist who does not believe the gospel or does not believe the Bible says even now today that more than likely he was a historical figure. But the issue that they miss is they say, well, he, he wasn't God, you know. He was a magician or a good teacher or this or that like everybody else. Either Jesus is God or he's not. Either Jesus is God or he was a liar or a lunatic. And I firmly believe, according to the Scripture and what he has done, not just in the days of his ministry, but in my own life, that he is not a madman or a magician, but that he is God. And to dismiss that or to not believe it is not only an antichrist doctrine, but it means that there is no salvation there. We cannot miss who Jesus is. Because if you miss who Jesus is by an inch, you'll miss heaven by eternity. That small of a margin, that small of an error is the greatest error that we have today. Anyone in anything that does not line up with Christ and every word of God is therefore against God and His Word. Which side are you on? Which side do we listen to? Which side do we read? Which side do we allow to influence our life or our walk? It is time we as the church of God understand that we're not looking for just the one Antichrist and that we're not even just focused on the many Antichrists around us, but that we're knowledgeable of who they are, that we might mark them and avoid them and, and even tell others about, hey, stay away from them, but that we make so much of the Christ that everything else just pales in comparison. That everything else is just, it doesn't even bother me anymore because lost people do what lost people do and the lost world does what it does. But I see Christ upon his throne. And I know that Christ is true and that Christ is God, that Christ has come and that he has died, he was buried, that he has risen the third day according to the scripture to give me life. And one day he's going to call me out of here and I'll have eternal life with him forever and forever. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what John calls us to here. We know that it's the last time today the very same reason. Today, if you're struggling with following an antichrist, but you're not sure if you are or not, test them with the scripture. Don't test them with your emotions or how they make you feel. Because there are plenty of great antichrists who are great at talking. But they don't know the Lord. And they're not pointing you to the Lord either. Let's get back to scripture. Let's get back to our Savior and him alone. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for each one that's here. Thank you that we could study your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us be mindful of these things around us and the false teachings, but even more so to make much of you. Lord, that you would be so large and so grand in our eyes that we would see nothing else and no one but you and that it might drive us to know that we are in the last days. And Lord, even if today was our very last day on this earth, God, that we would live it for you, for your glory, for your honor, and for your purpose. Lord, I pray now that you would prepare our hearts for the worship service, Lord, that we'd have right hearts and minds prepared to worship you. 
in spirit and in truth, and that, God, you would do a great and mighty work here today through the preaching of your word, through your Holy Spirit, God. We love you. We thank you for this time once more. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.